right. Let's make our way back to our seats. I don't know how it came about that anyone that takes like this spot right here to bring everybody back from the turn and greet says, all right, all right, all right. Like we're big Matthew McConaughey church. I mean, my name's Matt, not Matthew, but whatever. We're going to go with that. Hey, I get the privilege this morning of introducing a great friend of mine that I've known since I was, I think, in seventh grade. Um, he was a youth minister at my church when I was a kid, um, kind of some of these, these kids' ages. And um, actually, fun fact, prayed over me the first time I ever spoke before an FCA group. And so it was instrumental in, uh, in, in, in me getting into ministry and that kind of thing. Um, Man, I love this guy so much. Uh, you hang out with him, and it's a master's class in evangelism. Uh, this guy loves Jesus, loves sharing the gospel, and it's cool. Uh, he, he, find, he finds himself now in a role where uh, he gets to do that out in, in the world with a secular job, which is awesome because I, 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 I uh, find myself in similar places. Um, but this is my friend, Rick Kyle. Sure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I've known Matt since he was a little kid. He grew up fit. I grew up fat. That is not true. I've always been fat. But I told Matt, we should start a podcast, The Fat and the Fit. I get top billing because I'm bigger. Now, please don't come up after and, and you know, worry about my self-esteem. I spoke one time at Southeast Christian Church to 1,000 students, volunteers. And after I got done preaching, this girl runs up to the stage and she says to me, Rick, it doesn't matter what you look like. God loves you. True story. I said, please, please never compliment me again. <laughs> don't, don't try to make me feel good. Guys, it's not my, uh, I know it's a little rough when a, when a speaker comes up for the first time. You're like, is this dude going to be boring? I hope not. It's not my heart's desire. So let's pray and kind of dig into this. Father, we love you. What, what a privilege. God, I've known Brad way back into the Esther request days. I've known Matt way back in junior high. What a privilege to be here, Father, to see these guys, how they've grown, how they've stood up, how they've filled the gaps. Marcy, Marcy Floor, whatever her married name is, I have no idea, God, but you do. But just, uh, just grateful to be here, Lord. Grateful to open up your word. Holy Spirit, I have nothing to say. Nothing. It's only when you come, it's only when you fill, it's only when you open hearts and minds that anything worth saying is said. So we invite you here today, Father. We invite you here, Son. We invite you here, Spirit, this morning. We love you, we worship you, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Guys, in this series, Uncanceled, Canceling the Canceled Culture, we've kind of been looking about, I know you've been going over this, how, how does Jesus deal with our messes? How does he deal with our mistakes? Because, you know, e even sitting back there, I, I'm blown away. I, having my devotions recently, I'm just, I, I'll sometimes just, sit back, I have this big comfortable chair in my room and in, my, in our bedroom and I kind of pop the legs out and I lay back and I have my devotions every night before I go to bed. I spend time in God's word every night before I go to sleep. And I'm often overcome as I look back over the years at all of the massive mistakes I've made. Massive mistakes. I mean, I mean, I mean guys, I promise you, you can't outsend me. And I, and I, and I'm, what, what blows me away is how God has somehow delivered me through all that. Anybody know what I mean? Shake, nod your head if you know what I mean. And the older you are, the more you get it, right? The older you are, the more you're like, whoo, I, I really dodged a I mean, it, that should have been a lot worse, but somehow God took care of it. So how does Jesus deal with our messes and our mistakes? How does he do that? I, I want to say from the very onset 
that God is a very loving father. He's loving, he's gracious, he's incredibly forgiving, he's always restoring us. And when he's your dad, I'm telling you guys, you will never find a, a more loving father, a father who wants to rescue you, a father who will forgive you. He's all about restoration. Now, I can honestly say that over the years as a dad, I, I have specifically prayed, and even recently, now that I'm a grandfather because I'm really old, I have prayed, Father, help me to be a dad like you. Help me to be a grandfather like you. I want to, I'm made in your image. We're made in God's image. That's why when we hold that little baby, we love it so much. That's the love of the Father, and we're made in his image, and we begin to get it. And I've asked God, he, he's been overly generous to me throughout my life. So I've strived to be overly generous to my children, to my grandchildren. He's been incredibly forgiving and understanding. So I've strived to be incredibly forgiving and understanding. And maybe got a daughter. I love my daughter more than anything else in this world. And she can make me laugh so quickly. But she can make me so angry. <laughs> Throughout the years, my daughter is just like me. She's stubborn and strong-willed. And I remember one time her just, I remember one time I, I, she was in junior high and, and actually somebody sent me pictures of her smoking a cigarette. And I came home so angry and I sat down with her and I said, Katie, you know, this is wrong and there's so many reasons. And then after a 15 minute conversation with her, she had me apologizing, taking her to Starbucks and buying her a mug. <laughs> to this day, I don't know how she did it. She just could, she could just do it. But I remember saying to her, hey, sweetie, no matter how mad I get at you, I never want to be in a room that you're not in. Now, in God's ultimate sense of humor, he has given my daughter a son that is just like her. I mean, stubborn and strong-willed and, and just does things that make you go, are you insane? But you know what? I've already said to him, buddy, no matter how crazy you act, I never want to be in a room that you're not in because that's how God feels about you and me. I mean, we blow it, we mess up, and we, I mean, we hide. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll like, I'll like really blow it, and I'll be like, you know what, I'm not going to have my devotions or pray for a minute. I need to give God time to forget. Well, I got news for you, he doesn't forget. But he never wants to be in a room that you're not in. But I have a, a kind of a reverse question today, and then we're going to kind of dig into this this demon-possessed man. I wonder today, how hard are you and I working at being a great son or daughter? Does any of that responsibility for your actions fall on you or fall on me? God's great at cleaning up messes, but how good are you at making messes? Let me put it another way. How hard are you working on your relationship with God? Are you working really hard or are you not working at all? Because if you're not getting all that God has for you, it may be because you're not working at all that God has for you. But, but he wants to. He wants to pour out the storehouse of his blessing. I promise you. Let me give you a microcosm example that I think completely translates into what I'm talking about. This is a concept that my soon-to-be five-year-old grandson cannot grasp at all. I feel like every meal we should have a referee in our house. Because my daughter is going to demand that he eat, and he is not going to eat. I mean, he is gone. And she's like, Diesel. We call him Diesel because he's a little bit of a train wrecker. And, I, and, and I'm like, Diesel, 
I'm like, geez, Diesel, you need to come back to eat. Diesel, where are you going? I got to go to the bathroom. Diesel, what are you doing? I, I need to, he, he, no matter what, he refuses to eat. And I literally sit at the table sometimes going, dude, how does he not get this by now? How does he not get how this whole thing works? He's always about the popsicle or the treat this after. And, and my daughter wants to give him that treat, but he never understands. All he has to do is eat the meal. And it's like terrorist negotiation. You know, she starts out, Diesel, you need to eat everything on your plate. And then it boils down to, look, you just need to eat five bites. And then it's like, look, if you will just eat two bites. And then it gets down to, look, if you will just smell the dinner plate, I will give you a popsicle. <laughs> he never understands. She wants him to have the treat. She wants him to have so much more. It usually winds up with an extended timeout or an early bedtime. You guys get it, don't you? You know what I'm talking about? No, don't shake your head. <laughs> Look, he might be the most loved little guy in the world, but his actions limit his blessings. You've got a God up there that says, man, I just want to pour out the storehouses of heaven on you. I love you. I don't want to be in a room that you're not in, but it's hard for me to give that extra treat when you're not working at our relationship. Because if you're not getting all that God has for you, it, it might be because you're not working for all that God has for you. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep, deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Paul said, work hard. Are you working hard? See, you and I have a hand in this process. I love the contrast of these verses in Philippians. Scripture's just cool. Paul tells us to work hard to show the results, to take what's inside of us and get it outside. We're saved, we're called. But as we're doing that, God is working through us and empowering us to be able to do it. He's giving you the desire and the ability to change, to become the man or woman that, that God has always wanted you to be, what you're meant to be. It's a combination. It's symbiotic. It's a, it, it's, it, it calls for our active participation. It's our faith that saves us. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10, uh, for with a heart man believes unto salvation, with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. He's given us the, the ability, but it's symbiotic. It, 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 it's God, you have saved me, now I want to show the world that I am saved. Uh, let me be clear that Paul's not talking about working for your salvation. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Catch this, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We are clearly saved by faith. Not by works. But just like my daughter wants to give Diesel that popsicle or that, or that candy. Last night he was, he was negotiating for, for Skittles on the way up the stairs. And my daughter said, you can have five. And he said, ten. And she said, six. And I said, Diesel, that's a good deal. Take it. 
They live upstairs. We have a big house out in the country. And then about five minutes later, I heard screaming. Apparently, Diesel had taken a whole handful and shoved them in his mouth. She wants to do so much, and God wants to do so much. But how hard are you and I working at being a great son or daughter? Does any of the responsibility for our actions fall on us? He's great at cleaning up messes, but how good are we at making messes? Paul's talking about you and me personally deciding that we're going to actively seek to look just like Jesus. Yeah, I, I want to put hours into making my Christianity real because that's my job. Well, how do I do that? I pray and I dig into God's word. I have my devotions every single night. I don't go to sleep without digging into God's word. I, I want to know what he has for me individually. And I want that. I want to make a, a for, for about four and a half years, we had, my whole family had a ministry to 14 to 21 year olds who were addicted to heroin or meth in, in the greater LA area, Los Angeles. My, my son stayed in LA. In fact, he's a Los Angeles police officer. So I'd love for you to Kind of, his name's Josh, just take him, just put him in your prayers at night. But we worked with this group, and I'm going to make a statement that I used to say to them, but, but hear me out before you cast stones. If you're, if you're failing at being a good man or woman, it might, it might be 100% your decision and your fault. If I'm failing at life, it might be my fault. I, I know that sounds harsh, but I got to counsel a lot of those people struggling with the addictions. And whether you agree or not, I would say to them all the time, if you're a failure in life, it's your fault. You're addicted to drugs because you chose to do drugs. You're in jail because you stole something. You lost your family because you were angry and abusive. You lost your job because you couldn't control your anger. You were held back from advancing because you chose to drop out of school and not go back. If you're filled with bitterness at someone, it's because you refuse to look like Jesus and forgive and restore past relationships. That seems mean. Why would I say that? Because many will say, I can't be good because my dad was abusive. I can't forgive because I was hurt so bad or so wrong. Or you can't blame me for drinking because my mom's alcoholic. And, and in the long run... We're giving ourselves excuses and permission to fail because someone or someone failed, something failed us. And all that does is perpetuate the misery and allow us to give up. I, I want to take that permission away from them so that success can become a legitimate option. Let me say that again. I, I always wanted to take the permission to fail away from them so that success could become a a legitimate option. I, I, I will not allow them to accept failure is the only choice. And right now, I want to encourage every single one of you, no matter where you are, no matter where your life is, to completely give all of your mess, all of your failure to a loving father. To a God who sits at that table with a popsicle on his hand saying, dude, just smell the chicken. Look at it, and I don't get up and look at the chicken, and I will give you the popsicle. I, I can't imagine. I, I guess God doesn't get frustrated, but I don't get it. Today we're going to look at a guy who made a mess of his life. And the next few minutes we've got less. I mean somebody who along the line really blew it. But a loving dad and an incredible God stepped in to clean up his mess. And I want to encourage every one of us to allow God to do the exact same thing for us. Luke chapter 8. 
Luke chapter 8, verse 26, and we're going to start in verse 26 and 27. Jesus and the boys have, have, have just crossed over the lake. Uh, if you read previously in, in, in Mark, there was this massive storm. Jesus is asleep on a boat. The, the, the waves are raging. Jesus stands up and says, be still. And the Bible says in, in the Greek that all of nature got quiet. I mean, storms, waves, real, real danger. And Jesus steps up. He's sleeping. The disciples wake him up. And he's like, dude, just chill. And all of nature just chills. Now they get across to the other side of the lake. And they're about to step out on the lake. And, and controversy and strife still follows them. Luke chapter 8, verse 26, so they had arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. They've left the Jewish territory. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of town. Mark describes this guy as homeless, naked. I would say that's humiliating. I mean, in all honesty, I won't even swim in a pool without my shirt off. He was violent. He was isolated. He was lonely. He lived amongst the tombs. He lived in a cemetery. I can't imagine how uncomfortable the disciples were even being in that area. Not only were there pigs, which the Jews considered an unclean animal, but they were in a cemetery, and Jewish law forbid them from touching dead things. I think it must have been a lot like being on a mission trip and being exposed to a life that's absolutely opposed to everything you know and love. And on top of that, there's a homeless man who's obviously out of his mind. That's a lot to take in. And that makes for one uncomfortable situation. Let's step over to Mark's description of this man in Mark 5 because he gives us a little more detail. Mark 5 verse 3 this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists, smashed the shackles. No one, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. The description of the man who comes to meet Christ is frightening. He's violent. He's often in trouble with the police. He's been restrained, even shackled, had handcuffs on many times. He's got a police record. He's self-abusive. He would cut himself with sharp stones. He was loud and angry. He was literally demon-possessed. This guy is a mess. Listen, if this guy lived in your neighborhood, you'd want to move. You, you, you'd warn your kids, stay away from that house. Hey, listen, on Halloween, don't, don't knock on that door. He was all alone, and I guarantee he was lonely. He was a mess, but there's hope for messes. And as I read this passage, I found myself asking how this guy got to this point. Do you ever think about that? How did he get there? I mean, he didn't just wake up one day and think, hey, I'm going to take all my clothes off and run around the cemetery. How did he get there? I mean, I know he's demon-possessed, but how did that come about? What were his personal choices that led him to where we find him in the cemetery? Had he dabbled in witchcraft or Satanism? Did he take one too many drinks? One too many drugs and find himself addicted? We lived in California for 14 years, and I remember taking the kids down to Santa Monica Beach. 
and we were we were had bikes. We rented bikes and we were riding along the beach and there's a lot of homeless people on the beach. And my daughter was young at the time. She said, Daddy, how did these people get there? Why are there so many? And I said, I said, honey, it could be mental illness. I said, a lot of it's due to alcoholism. They didn't wake up and say I'm gonna be alcoholic. They just took one too many drinks. A lot of it's drug addiction. They didn't mean to be drug addicts. That's just where they found themselves. Perhaps this guy had got caught up in some perverted sexual addiction that just eventually consumed him. Maybe it was a messy divorce or some great loss that led him to despair and eventually depravity. We rarely know the whole story of what brings a man or a woman to a place of utter despair, but that's exactly where we find our guy today. So here's... How does God's creation become the devil's possession? How's that happen? That's a great question to step back and ask ourselves. We're not really told, but I think the much more needed question is, how does he get out of this place? Sometimes we may not know, or we may clearly know how we got somewhere, but the question is, how do we get out? His family couldn't help him. Police couldn't help him. He wasn't helping himself. He, remember, he was self-abusive. He's cutting himself with rocks. And if you find yourself in a place you don't want to be in, what do you do? If you're canceled, how do you get uncanceled? If your lifestyle is canceled to you or your family or left you in a place that you want out of, how do you get out? See, this guy's only answer, and I believe my only answer when I was 17 was to find Christ. His only hope is a close encounter with someone who's stronger than he is. Someone who can offer hope. Someone who can overcome addiction. Someone who won't hate a hateable person. It's easy to hate. Oh, it's so easy. Just get on Facebook. If you don't hate, get on Facebook. You will learn to hate. But how do you find somebody who doesn't hate a hateable person? I wonder if you've ever had the privilege of just meeting someone who, who just loved you. I remember, you know, Brad said, I, I'm, I'm in the secular world, in the Christian world, and I, I work for an Oxmoor Ford. The guy, the owner is a godly guy. He also owns Toyota. And I remember one time working for uh, years back, you know, it took a break from ministry, and I was working at Toyota, and, and this, I shared a desk with this, this female salesperson. I don't remember her name, but she took all my stuff and threw it on the floor. I'm not sharing my desk with you. And I looked at her and I said, and this was true, I said, you know, you remind me of one of my favorite students ever when I was a youth pastor. You, you look like her, you sound like her, and I've chosen to love you. So you can be as mean to me as you want to be, but I'm always going to like you. Oh my gosh, we had the best relationship, the greatest friendship from that. I just refused to hate the hateable. And that's where this... That's a rare person, and that is Jesus Christ. But not just one person, but the world. Great evil, great despair was about to meet great holiness and great hope. This man has a close encounter with Jesus and would find it forever changing him. And it has forever changed me. This man was deep in 
possessed and overcome by a very powerful evil. Because whether you believe it or not, the devil is alive and well. He is an actual being. And his heart's desire is to destroy your life. His heart's desire is to hold that drug out, hold that sexual addiction out, hold that alcohol out, hold that evil persuasive friend in front of you and destroy your life. Just look at the garden, man. Just taste it. It's great. As soon as you taste it, whoo, God's mad at you. There is great evil in this world. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal your joy. Steal your life. Steal your family. Steal your sanity. Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying See, there's great evil in the world, but there's also great good. There's an evil that wants to destroy you through drugs, alcohol, pornography, divorce, any other means by which you can be tempted. In fact, 1 Peter 5, Peter says this, verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But there's also great good. There's forgiveness, there's restoration, there's strength, there's peace, there's joy. Let's get back to Luke chapter 8, verse 28. As soon as he saw Jesus, this demon-possessed man, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus? See, I get it. You know what the devil got? He got that he was not the most powerful man in the room. Jesus was. He got, I'm not, when Jesus got off that boat, he said, "Woo, things just changed. It just got hot for me. I am no longer, I, I may be able to break chains and smash rocks, but I'm no longer the most powerful man in the room. So he falls down. He said, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. Playing golf with a kid one time. He had 666 tattooed on his arm. And I had a shirt on it that had a cross on him. And I looked at him and I said, my shirt cancels out your arm. <laughs> True story. Jesus, God in the flesh, did not and does not feel evil. He doesn't fear evil people. Evil knows and fears him. He is more powerful. And the demons and the devil is aware of that. He is the most powerful being in all of creation. And his purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. The demons feared Jesus so much that they begged him not to torment him. Luke chapter 8, verse 29. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out from him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's control. But once again... Evil is, if, if, if the Holy Spirit is present, then evil is not the most powerful being in the room. If God is present in your life, then the evil isn't in control. If you or I will simply fall to our knees and ask God to come into our lives and take over, he will. If we'll simply cry out to him, confess him as our Lord and Savior. I remember when I was 17 years old, I went to a camp. Guy stood on stage. I didn't know Jesus. I went because it was a ski camp in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and I lived in Florida, and I wanted to see snow. I hated the Bible studies at camp. I was like, why am I here? I didn't. And then a guy stood on stage and said, you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And I almost broke my neck looking up because I knew I wasn't. And he told me that Jesus Christ loved me and died on the cross to pay for my sins. And all I had to do was just call upon him and ask for that salvation. And I did. And it changed my life. 
if you will confess him as your Lord and Savior, if you will call, then you will begin an adventure of a lifetime. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I don't mean that every addiction will be completely overcome immediately. It might or it might not. I don't mean that everyone around you will instantly see you as a new creation. They may or no, may not. But surrendering your life to Christ is the beginning of a new journey. Behold, all things become new. Remember, we're talking about a God who loves the hateable. We're talking about a God who is consumed with forgiving. We're talking about a God who is consumed with restoring you. Every time you sit back in that chair and think, oh, God, I am so horrible. He said, man, you've got a lot of garbage on you, but you personally are not horrible. Evil meets good. And let's look at Christ's first question. Jesus demanded, Luke chapter 8, verse 30, what's your name? That's a great question. Guy screaming, cussing, hollering, foaming, spitting at the mouth. And Jesus goes, dude, what's your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. Man, the first thing Jesus said is, what's your name? It's just kind of a pit. I, I just kind of get this picture of God looking at this man like he was a canvas and wondering what kind of picture what kind of picture can I paint on this canvas? And I promise you that's exa exactly how he looks upon you and me every single day. I mean, we're blowing it. We're screwing up. We're messing up. We're sure God is done. And God's just looking at us going, man, what can I do with your life? What can I paint? What kind of a masterpiece can I make? See, that's the heart of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 Paul says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for that. You didn't all of a sudden become this perfect little angel when you came to Christ. It's a gift from God. See, salvation's a gift. But you know what you got to do to get the gift? You got to reach out and take it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. None of us can boast about it. I love this, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for as long as ago. I think so many of us get this picture that I'm this pile of garbage that Jesus had to come down and save, you know, and I, I'm, but I don't, that, I don't, scripturally, that's not how God looks at it. God more looks at you are this masterpiece that's got garbage thrown all over you. I watched this show, How It's Made or something like that, and and, there, and it's beautiful painting from like the 16th century. And it was absolutely beautiful. But then they gave it to the hand of this guy that cleans up messes. He clean, restores paintings. I thought it looked great. But he took Q-tips and swabs and cleaned up, you know, hundreds of years of dust and dirt and grime. And when he got done, it looked like it was freshly painted. Uh, that's the business that God is. God can take a mess and make it into a masterpiece. He can... He can uncancel that which has been canceled by the culture or the devil himself. <clears throat> Why else would Jesus have even taken time out of his busy schedule to talk to the guy? The guy was a jerk. He was loud and abusive. He had a history of bad choices. He put anti-Christian posts on his Facebook. That's what everybody else saw. But to Jesus, to God, this man was to become a masterpiece. Jesus loved this guy just the way he was, this violent, self-abusive, loud, obnoxious human being. 
That's what we see. But Jesus saw right through the garbage and just loved him. He saw the masterpiece through all the stuff that had been, I started to say crap, and I didn't know if I could say that in church, so I won't. All the junk that had been thrown on this guy. And I promise you today that that's exactly how he feels about you and me. And Jesus steps in and does the only, something that only he can do. He casts out the demons. He washes all this guy's sins away. He forgives him and rescues him. He lets him start over. Look, chapter 8, verse 32. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him. I want to say one more time. As soon as he got off that boat, they went, oh, poop. <laughs> We're not the most powerful being on the, on the property anymore. Then the demon, so Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Just picture hundreds or thousands of pigs, demon-possessed, running into a lake. The, the Bible says that the shepherds panicked. You can understand their fears. I would assume it would freak you out, too, if suddenly you found yourself surrounded by demon-possessed pigs. It sounds like a great Stephen King movie. Pretty soon, everyone from the town came out to see what had happened, and look what they found, verse 34. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what happened, and soon, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. You know what Jesus did? He restored this man's dignity. He, he, he uncanceled him. Everybody hated the dude. You would hate it. I mean, we, we would have walked around that cemetery. But Jesus restores his dignity. Jesus gives him his peace and his life back. A, a close encounter with Christ will do that for you. Knowing Jesus, surrendering your life, calling upon him to be your Lord and Savior, or just, just, just sitting in front of him and going, God, I suck. I, I mean, really, God, I, it's a mess. I just want to submit my life to you. See, knowing Jesus causes the demons to tremble in terror. Jesus offered salvation, not condemnation. And he can do that for you. I asked myself, what if this man had never met Christ? What, what if Jesus had never come along? What if that boat hadn't parked at that dock on that particular day? He would have remained lonely, hated, and violent without Jesus. He would have died in his misery and never known salvation. He would have spent an eternity separated from a loving God. Without Jesus, he would have remained who he was Instead of who he could become. Let me say that again. Without Jesus, he would have remained who he was instead of whom he would become. That is why knowing Christ is of infinite value. I want to close with this. This man would become of infinite value to the world around him. Those who have been canceled by culture, those who have been canceled by illness or depression can become those who share the gospel, can, can become one of God's army. For Luke 8, 36, then those who had seen what had happened told others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for great fear swept over them. 
I don't know what's happening, but I know all my pigs were demon-possessed, and now they're dead. But the uncounseled man wanted in the game. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. Jesus, I'm not done with this relationship. I, I need more. I, I, I want more, more, more of you. But Jesus sent him home saying, now go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. You know, when I came to Christ at 17 years old at that camp, I went back home. And I remember my mom after a couple months saying, your life has changed so much. This God must be real. And my brother and my mom gave their lives to Christ just because of what God had done in my life. And then later, my sister, I would be to get to lead her to Christ. So he went all throughout the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. See, this dude begged Jesus to let him go with him. Being saved and knowing Christ wasn't enough for him, and it shouldn't be enough for you or me. If God has changed you, if he has saved you, if one day he will take you into glory to be with him forever, then just being saved will never be enough. This ex-con, this once dem demoniac, this lonely, out-of-control loser, became a missionary for Christ because God makes messes into masterpieces. This guy set the stage for the Apostle Paul who would come along later and plant churches all over the region. He opened the world to the gospel. He changed the, he changed the life. His, his life became the very soil that the church and the gospel would grow in. Lakes carry sound. And before in Galilee, they had heard this guy screaming and hollering now they heard him praising and worshiping. Why? Because Jesus makes messes into masterpieces. And now they would hear the changing love of Christ. Guys, I beg you, don't leave here today without founding, finding Christ. If you don't know him as your Savior, then Romans 10, 13, the Bible says, Call upon the name of the Lord and he will save you. Lord, the best I know how I believe you love me. Died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I want that payment. God begin to change my life like you changed Rick's when he turned, when he was 17 years old. Don't leave here without giving him all your demons and determining to live the rest of your life for him. Work at it. It's worth it. Let him give you that popsicle. Father, we love you and worship you and praise you. What a great God. What a powerful God. Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit that healed this demon-possessed man is ours just simply to call upon it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's not just for salvation, but that's for life. That's for all the messes we find ourselves into. Father, I pray for everyone in this room that you would begin to clean up their messes, that you would begin to uncancel them, that you would begin to restore them. For we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.